the most detailed uh, view of the uh, what's called the Battle of Armageddon. It's two chapters. You get more detail in the book of Ezekiel on the Battle of Armageddon than even in the book of Revelation. In fact, we're going to get more of the Millennial Kingdom when we get to chapters 40 to 48. Hopefully, we'll be able to start that tonight uh, than in uh, the book of Revelation also. So these last uh, 10 chapters or so are some of the most detailed uh, views of the end times that we see. And of course, it's the reason why is because it's from a Jewish perspective. Uh, the book of Ezekiel, as you've been following along, we've been going through this guy who is now 900 miles away from his homeland. He gets to watch from a vision, the walls fall down, the temple destroyed, the spirit of God leaving uh, the land of Israel. He is a priest without a temple, and he is called to be a watchman. In chapter 38, verse 1, we read this. This is another message that came to me from the Lord. The son of man turned and faced Gog of the land of Magog, the prince who rules over the nations of Meshech and Tubal, the prophesy against him. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord, Gog, I am your enemy. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and lead you out with your whole army, your horses and charioteers in full armor and a great horde armed with shields and swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya will join you too with all their weapons. Gomer and all its armies will also join you, along with the armies of Beth, Tog, Armagh, from distant north, and many others. And so, Father, tonight as we approach your amazing word, maybe even a, a section that we've never read before, um, maybe even a part of the Bible that our pages still stick together, or maybe even we don't even know where to find. Lord, help us as we read this section tonight uh, to see your powerful word fulfilled. Uh, that, that we get to see a glimpse into uh, the future. That we get to see a glimpse from a very descriptive um, uh, uh, explanation of what is happening at the end times. And so, Lord, as we approach this, help us to approach it with, with knowing that we have hope, and that we're to be blessed, that we have the privilege of knowing uh, that you will always overcome, always conquer, and that we get to see the end of the story tonight, and that we don't have to be afraid, that we can trust in you. And just as we sang uh, over and over again tonight, the, the privilege of glorifying the one who loved us first. It's so hard to sit silently before you at times to hear you speak to us. And so, Lord, help us to hear you tonight clearly. That your Holy Spirit would have free reign in this building, Lord. I thank you so much for these that are gathered here tonight, those that are watching online. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Uh, amen and amen. Last week we ended with this section here and we saw all these nations that, you know, um, not only are hard to pronounce, but, you know, we have no idea where they're at. 
you know, in terms of where we live today. And we'll get to see some of those places as we go through. But the two that are mentioned here at the very beginning, uh, Meshach and Tubal, we see them only in uh, the book of Ezekiel. We saw them way back in chapter 27, that that. Uh, division in the book of Ezekiel where the first 26 chapters are all about the Jews and now starting in chapter 27 we see that the nations that surround Israel are going to be prophesied against as well. All those nations that surround Israel, Ammon, Moab, Edom, Philistia, all those nations that are around there. And then, of course, in chapter 32 and chapter 38 and chapter 39, we're going to see these two nations repeated over and over again. There's this other name that's repeated as well. You see it there in verse 2. It's this name Gog. Now, many times we kind of get confused, and, and people were even asking me last week, you know, what is Gog? You know, is it a, a nation? Uh, Gog and Magog. And in the book of Revelation, when you read Gog and Magog in the book of Revelation, they are actually two different nations. That, that verse that it's referring to in the book of Revelation, though, happens after the millennial kingdom. This, we find, is actually happening before the millennial kingdom. We're not even going to get to the millennial kingdom until we get to chapter 40. This is pre-millennial, okay? That's what we hold to, pre-millennialism. We believe in a real 1,000-year reign of Christ, and we're going to see it very, very detailed here in the book of Ezekiel. And so this battle that's taking place is actually taking place before the millennial kingdom. Gog here is addressed as a person. The name Gog means mountain. Magog means people of the mountain or nation of uh, the mountain. In fact, in verse 7, we get to see a, a greater um, interest into this person. Verse 7, it says, get ready, be prepared, keep all the armies around you mobilized and take command of them. A long time from now, you will be called into action in a distant future. You will swoop down on the land of Israel, which will be in enjoying peace after recovering from war and after its people have returned from many lands to the mountains of Israel, you and all your allies, a vast and awesome army, will roll down like a storm and cover the land like a cloud. This massive army gathered from all these places around Israel will come in and swarm into Israel." Even today, how many enemies does Israel have? And they all surround Israel. And it's only by the hand of God that they are being protected. Even today, at this time, the armies are going to be coming. And they're going to be coming in like a storm, it says. Verse 10, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. At that time, evil thoughts will come into your mind. And you will devise a wicked uh, scheme. This is referring to Gog. You will say, Israel is an unprotected land, 
filled with unwalled villages. I will march against her and destroy these people who live in such confidence. I will go to those formerly desolate cities that are now filled with people who have returned from exile in many nations. I will capture vast amounts of plunder for the people are rich with livestock and other possessions now. They think the whole world revolves around them. Oh, wow. Does that describe the Jews, by the way? Oh, yeah. In fact, the whole purpose of the Jewish nation is to bring God glory to be a blessing to the nations, right? All the way back to Abraham himself. Verse 13, but Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish will say or will ask, do you really think the armies you have gathered can rob them of silver and gold? Do you think you can drive away their livestock and seize their goods and carry off uh, plunder? Part of this coalition will break off. Part of this coalition will, will think rationally. Part of this coalition will say, no, we know something bad is going to happen if we attack Israel. We know something is going to happen to us if we attack Israel. And so three of these nations are actually going to break off Sheba, Dedan, and Tarshish. By the way, uh, Sheba is the nation Egypt, Egypt region. Uh, the queen of Sheba, you've heard of her before, right? She was the one that went to see King Solomon's temple. God is blessing these nations, making sure that they don't go into Israel. Verse 14 Therefore, son of man, prophesy against Gog. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. This isn't a nation. This is a person that's leading a nation. Uh, Gog is the name of the person, whether it's the name that he's actually going to have or the meaning of the name that he will have when he comes. And he will be leading the land of Magog. This man by the name of Agog, mountain, strong, person who is high and lifted up, it says, give him this message from the sovereign Lord. When my people are living in peace in their land, then you will rouse yourself. You will come from your homeland in the distant north with your vast cavalry and your mighty army. And you will attack my people Israel, covering their land like a cloud. And in that distant future, I will bring you against my land as everyone watches. And my holiness will be displayed by what happens to you, Gog. Then all the nations will know that I am the Lord. Now, we know the end of the story. But can you imagine this massive army, this powerful nation with all of its vast armies that are coming against this tiny nation of Israel, thinking that they'll just storm in, that it's easy plunder. In fact, I have a couple of maps here. You saw one of these last week. The first one here is what I showed last week. This is all the nations that are mentioned 
in this chapter here. You see Magog right up there at the top. You see Gomer, which is uh, more to the, the left there. You see Meshech and Tubal, uh, Togarmah, Persia, Dedan, Sheba, uh, Cush, Libya, and, and Foot. All those nations we're going to see mentioned in these two chapters. Now, again, where are these nations? I mean, I, I don't know any of these nations here today. But what we do know is geology, right? We know geography. And in fact, the next chapter or next picture, if you see here, the same exact geography, just replacing the names with modern nations. You see Magog up there? That's Russia. This is the, the vast north. And by the way, you know, if you look at, you know, Israel and Russia in terms of a map, uh, a flat map, it's, it's not always up directly north. But if you look on a globe, it is directly north, okay? Uh, just the way the earth curves Russia is directly north of Israel. Also, the nation of Turkey is directly north of uh, uh, Israel. And then, of course, you have Syria and Iraq and Iran and Sudan and Libya, the northern areas of, of uh, Egypt there. And then you have the Baltic states. In fact, those two uh, big uh, lakes or seas there, the one on the right is the Caspian Sea and the one on the left is the Black Sea. Uh, both of which through are corridors which these massive armies can come down to attack uh, Israel. You can see the lines there of the way that it would go right between those two seas. This massive army marching into Israel. Now the question is, who is causing Gog to think these thoughts? Is this his own thoughts that he's thinking? No, it's God. God is causing him to think these thoughts. And what's the reason why God is bringing this massive army down to Israel? It says it there in the last part. Then all the nations will know that I am the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Is God going to cause this massive upset where, where the underdog, all those, you know, I don't know about you when you watch a game or or, you know, whether it's, you know, soccer or football or, or baseball or whatever it is, where, where you root for the underdog, right? This massive, powerful army is coming to Israel and God is on the underdog side. In fact, we all know this. When God is on our side, can we ever lose? No, we cannot. In fact, we see it in the next uh, verses here. And I, I love this section because not only is it more detailed than even uh, the book of, of Revelation, but we see in here this massive truth that is always true about what God does. Even the future, even the history, even the present now, it all speaks to the glory of God. Verse 17, it tells us that. This is what the Sovereign Lord asks. Are you the one I was talking about long ago when I announced through Israel's prophets that in the future I would bring you against my people? But this is what the Sovereign Lord says. 
When Gog invades the land of Israel, my fury will boil over. In my jealousy and blazing anger, I promise a mighty shaking in the land of Israel. On that day, this massive earthquake will take place in the land of Israel. All living things, the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals of the field, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people on earth will quake in terror at my presence. Mountains will be thrown down. Cliffs will crumble. Walls will fall to the earth. I remember my first earthquake. I remember it very, very detailed. And, and, you know, when we were going to school, what did you have to do? You have to do earthquake drills. You're supposed to go underneath your desk, right? I was on the island of Guam. I, I remember it so distinctly. I'd been there for like, maybe like two weeks. I, I was supposed to stay for about two years. And, and I get there, and it was a Sunday night. I, I was in this church on a Sunday night, and this massive 8.1 earthquake hit. It lasted one full minute. It lasted, for me, like an eternity. And, of course, they had the wooden pews. You guys remember those, you know? And, and, and you know, I, I went underneath the wooden pew. Everybody else is running outside. Because I, I was told when I was in school, you're supposed to go underneath your desk, right? So, you know, that was the best thing around me. This, this earthquake lasted literally for a, a full minute. You can even look it up. This was in 1993, uh, July 1993. And, and, and it was so powerful that literally... Uh, Whole floors of hotels collapsed on each other. Uh, Guam being a tourist resort area. And I remember this earthquake just going on and on and on. It felt like it would never end. Can you imagine this massive earthquake that is happening here? And by the way, no one was killed on the island of Guam during that earthquake. There was people injured, but no one was killed. Can you imagine during this massive earthquake that's going to knock down mountains, uh, knock down uh, cliffs, knock down walls that's going to take place in Israel, where this massive army is going to fill it? Who is shaking the earth? Who is protecting Israel? In fact, verse 21, it says, I will summon the sword against you on all the hills of Israel, says the sovereign Lord. Your men will turn their swords against each other. The chaos that will take place in this army that is made up of all these nations that have been gathered to fight against Israel, and now they're going to be fighting against each other. How does that take place? God in his wisdom is going to know that. There's going to be a confusion that's going to take place in this massive army. In fact, if you go all the way back to the book of Judges, the same things happened during the battle of Gideon. Remember, the army of Midian fought amongst 
uh, themselves. Verse 22, I will punish you and your armies with disease and bloodshed. I will send torrential rain, hailstones, fire, and burning sulfur. In this way, I will show my greatness and holiness, and I will make myself known to all the nations of the world, this massive army is going to be destroyed by God himself. And all the world will know it. Everybody, all the nations will see it happening. Can you imagine, you know, and of course, you know, with technology today, this again being in the future, we can see things happening to the very second, right? Right? We have the capability to be able to do that. During the time of Ezekiel, this was not possible. During the time when Revelation was written, that wasn't possible at that time either. But guess what? Now it is. What's the whole purpose of this battle? Just like what we read earlier in chapter 16 or verse 16. Then they will know that I am the Lord. What's the purpose of every single one of these prophecies? It's to show God is God. That the world will know that God is God. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. In Revelation chapter 20, we see a similar event. Now, again, in Revelation, this event is actually taking place after uh, the millennial kingdom. And, and we're going to talk about these two battles separately in just a little bit. Uh, but, but the battle that we're looking at here in the book of Ezekiel, this is the battle of Armageddon. And it takes place right at the end of the tribulation time period. After the seven-year period of tribulation, it's going to take place in what's called the second coming. God's going to come. Jesus is going to come to this earth. He's going to not only save his nation of Israel, but he's also going to usher in the millennial kingdom at the same exact time. And in the book of Ezekiel, we see the timeline very, very clearly. Verse chapter 37, what do we see? Those of you that were here last week. We see the dry bones come to life. Every single one of those bleached, scattered bones come together. Skeletons forming and then flesh and blood growing on those skeletons. And God raises this massive army in preparation for this battle, by the way. And then... When Jesus comes back to the earth, the second coming, we see this massive battle take place. And then chapter 40 ushers in the millennial kingdom, which we're going to see in great detail, by the way, even down to the very inches themselves, feet and inches described in great detail. But then after the millennial kingdom, and this is what we see in the book of Revelation, You'll see it up on the screen, Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. It says this, when the thousand years come to an end, okay? So now we see after the book of Ezekiel. Now we see after this two-chapter time period, the battle of Armageddon. We see after the thousand-year reign, after the thousand years have taken place, there's going to be a final battle. And if you think the enemies of God haven't learned their lesson, they haven't. 
In chapter 20, verse 7, after the thousand-year reign, Satan will be led out of his prison. Satan is now going to lead this massive army. A thousand years after this takes place, by the way. After he is released from a prison, he will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog. Now, two nations. Now, nations defined. These great, massive nations. Satan's going to deceive them, and they're going to come for one final battle. In every corner of the earth, he will gather them together for battle. A mighty army is numberless as sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people in the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies, consumed them. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And all God's people say, thank God. Amen. Right? Can you imagine that day when Satan is no longer able to tempt you? Where where Satan is no longer able to deceive you or to accuse you any longer. Oh, wow. You see, the book of Ezekiel is the beginning of this time period where we see that these massive armies are coming down. God is going to show his glory and Satan's going to be imprisoned. For a thousand years, Jesus is going to reign on the earth. We get to see in great detail in the book of Ezekiel what that's going to be like. But before we get to that, we have to go through chapter 39. You see, chapter 39 describes the aftermath of this great battle that's going to take place. Can you imagine this massive army, all the equipment, all the people, and and they fought against each other. They've been destroyed. God has rained not only hailstone and fire and this massive earthquake against them. What do you do with all the carnage? What do you do with all the destruction that has taken place? This massive army that has come against Israel. Chapter 39, we see the cleanup. Son of man, prophesy against Gog. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. I am your enemy, O Gog, ruler of the nations of Meshech and Tubal. So not only was he ruler over the Magog, the the northern area, but also Meshech and Tubal as well. All these coalition of nations. I will turn you around and drive you toward the mountains of Israel, bringing you from the distant uh, north. I will knock the bow from your left hand and the arrows from your right hand, and I will leave you helpless. You and your army and your allies will all die on the mountains, and I will feed you to the vultures and wild animals. This is the first thing that happens. Especially in in any battle, any war, 
what comes after all those dead people are on the ground. I know it's gruesome. Yeah, the carrion gum, right? All these carrion feeders, the ones, by the way, that God has designed to clean up, you know, anything that's dead, right? They're just left over on the ground. Not only to get rid of disease, but also make sure that nothing is wasted. Verse 5, you will fall on the open field, for I have spoken, says the Sovereign Lord. I will rain down fire on Magog and all your allies who will live safely on the coast. Then they will know that I am the Lord. This phrase that is repeated more times in the book of Ezekiel, the phrase that we just saw three times just in this one section than anywhere else in the entire Bible. Verse 7, in this way, I will make known my holy name among my people Israel. I will not let anyone bring shame on it. And the nations too will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Why did God choose Israel in the first place? Do you know why God chose Israel? They're the most obstinate, hard-hearted, stiff-necked people. They always rebelled against God. They always complained. God had to discipline them multiple times. There was this massive split that we saw last week in the nation of Israel that, that God's going to bring back together. The nations in the north, the tribes in the north, the ten tribes in the north called Israel, and the two tribes in the south called Judah that had constantly fought against each other. Every single one of the northern kings was horrific, and most of the southern kings were bad as well. And why would God choose a nation like this? Why would God choose a people like this? By the way, the same thing can be asked of us too, by the way. Right? Why would God love us, reach out to us, save us? Do any of us deserve it? No, it's not on our own merits. We see the answer here. I will make my name holy among my people Israel. He's going to save a people that don't deserve it just because he is holy. He is gracious. He is merciful to the most undeserving of people. God is going to reach out to them and save them. And then he's going to make them the center of the world. He's going to bring them to a place of power and prominence. In fact, in verse 8, it says that the day of judgment will come, says the sovereign Lord. Everything will happen just as I have declared it. On Monday nights, we're going through the book of Revelation. The men are. And we're in this, this section, very first chapter of the book of, of Revelation. We're, we're going to see the way that the Lord is going to bring about a massive overcoming of everything. In fact, every single enemy that we see in the book of Revelation, God has already declared as defeated. Babylon, every single time you see Babylon, all four times that you see Babylon, woe, woe is Babylon. They're defeated already. God has already defeated them. 
All, all this massive power that is going to be taking place, God has already overcome everything. By the way, the book of Revelation, just as any other book in the Bible, is meant to be a blessing. It's meant to be heard and you'll be blessed, read and you'll be blessed. Just like we've been reading here uh, tonight, verse 9 continues on. What happens to this massive army, all the equipment that they have? Look at the description here in verse 9. Then the people in the towns of Israel will go out and pick up your small and large shields, bows and arrows, javelins and spears, and they will use them for fuel. And there will be enough to last them seven years. Wow, is this a lot of equipment. Ne never having to cut down a tree for seven years because you have enough stuff to burn. All the equipment that is listed here, God is going to give to the people of Israel's plunder so they can use it as fuel for their own warmth. Also, verse 10, they won't be able to cut, they won't be a need to cut wood from their fields or their forests, for these weapons will give them all the fuel they need. They will plunder those who plan to plunder them, and they will rob those who plan to rob them, says the sovereign Lord. God will turn the tables. God will turn the tables in a massive way, by the way. This massive army is going to be defeated and all that they have is going to be given to the Israelites as plunder. Verse 11, and I will make a vast graveyard for Gog and his hordes in the valley of the travelers east of the Dead Sea. I will block the way of those who travel there and they will change the name of the place to the valley of the Gog of hordes. This is just right in the land of Jordan. The Dead Sea there in Israel divides not only the nation of Israel from uh, the nation of Jordan, the modern day nation of Jordan, but also at this time where this battle is going to be taking place, this area is going to be blocked off because of all the equipment that was just left there, because of all the bodies that are there, and it's going to take a massive amount of time for all these bodies to be buried. For all this equipment to be gathered up. In fact, the valley where the Gog's army is going to be buried is the east side of the Dead Sea. And we're using the New Living Translation. So it translates it very, very clearly for us. In fact, for seven months, they're going to build this temporary village there where the workers are going to be able to live on the side of the Jordan River, on the eastern side of the Jordan River, just to be able to provide for all the people that are gathering up all this spoil, all this plunder. In fact, verse 12, it tells us it will take seven months for the people of Israel to bury the bodies and cleanse the land. Everyone in Israel will help, for it will be a glorious victory for Israel when I demonstrate my glory in that day, says the Sovereign Lord. Just like what we were saying tonight, does God deserve all the glory? 
I don't know what victory you're waiting for. I, I don't know if you, you know, have this massive, you know, problem in your life. I, I don't know if you have these massive worries in your life. But, but as you read these two chapters, put yourself in the place of Israel. Is God still powerful today? And can God cause a massive victory in your life? Of course, we believe that as well. But do you also see the problems in the victory? Because what does the nation of Israel have to do after the victory? They have to bury the dead, right? They, they have to. Because, of course, you know, for cleanly reasons, you know, not only for disease purposes, but also just because there's a lot of dead bodies out there. And trying to get all the plunder off of these dead bodies, using the plunder as uh, fuel, and now having to take care of all these massive uh, bodies. The army that is dead. Verse 14, after seven months, teams of men will be appointed to search the land for skeletons to bury. So the land will be made clean again. And whenever bones are found, a marker will be set up. So the burial crews will take them to be buried in the Valley of God's hordes. And there will be a town there named Hamana, which means horde. And so the land will finally be uh, cleansed. And this is all in preparation, by the way, for what's going to happen in chapter 40 with the millennial kingdom. You see, why is the land being cleansed? Why, why is the land being taken care of after this massive victory? Because the holiness of God is going to descend upon the earth again. You see, Ezekiel saw the glory of God leave, and now he's going to see the glory of God return. Not, not to a, uh, a temple like King Solomon's. And, and by the way, King Solomon's temple was amazing. It was gold covered. It was, you know, beautiful. It had all these amazing things in it. That not only the, 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 the veils and, and the wood and, and all the various implements that were in King Solomon's temple. And, and that temple, by the way, is going to pale in significance to... Uh, the Millennial Kingdom Temple, which is going to be four times bigger than King Solomon's Temple. But all this is in preparation for what's going to happen in just a couple of verses in chapter 40. Verse 17, and now, son of man, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Call all the birds and the wild animals, say to them, gather together for their great sacrificial feast. Come from far and near to the mountains of Israel and there eat flesh, drink blood. Eat the flesh of mighty man and drink the blood of princes as though they were rams, lambs, goats, and bulls, all fattened animals from Bashan. Gorge yourselves with flesh until you are glutted. Drink blood until you are drunk. This is the sacrificial feast I have prepared for you, all these impressive people, all these important people, all these uh, people of royalty that are going to be part of this battle, what will happen to them? Just as anyone in this world knows, just become worm food, right? That's exactly what happens, right? And this is what happens with all these, this massive army. 
By the way, we get a glimpse of what this army is made of too, right? These aren't just, you know, um, you know, peons. These aren't just hired hands. These are people of wealth and authority that are part of this army. And they're coming to attack uh, Israel. Verse 20, feast at my banquet table, feast on horses and charioteers, on mighty man and all kinds of valiant warriors, says the sovereign Lord. And in this way, I will demonstrate my glory to the nations. Everyone will see the punishment I have inflicted on them and the power of my fist when I strike. From that time on, the people of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. The nations will then know why Israel was sent away to exile. It was punishment for their sin, for they are unfaithful to their God. Therefore, I turned away from them and let their enemies destroy them. I turned my face away and punished them because of their defilement and their sins. So now this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will end the captivity of my people. I will have mercy on all Israel. For I jealously guard my holy reputation. Why is God so faithful to Israel? A nation that has rebelled against him over and over again. And even today still rebels against God. Rejecting even the Messiah that came to die for them. Why does God still show mercy and grace to Israel even today when many, many people, many, many nations want nothing more than to see Israel wiped off the planet? Why does God still see Israel as the apple of his eye and protects them? Is it for Israel's sake? Is it for anybody else's sake? Who is it for? It's for the glory of God. It's always to make his glory uh, known. And again, the truth is also for us as well. God saves us for his glory so that he will be glorified because we don't deserve it. God loves us unconditionally. God's going to end their captivity. God's going to bring glory to his name. Verse 26, they will accept responsibility for their past shame, unfaithfulness after they come home uh, in, to live in peace in their own land with no one to bother them. And when I bring them home from the lands of their enemies, I will display my holiness among them for all the nations to see. The segue, this buildup that is taking place here, going from this massive battle that is taking place and the cleanup that has taken place after that, and then now building up to chapter 40 here. Then my people will know that I am the Lord their God because I sent them away to exile, brought them home again. I will leave none of my people behind, and I will never again turn my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit upon the people of Israel. I, the Sovereign Lord, have spoken. So not only did we see earlier in the book of Ezekiel the Spirit of God leaving, but now we see the Spirit of God returning. And we're going to see it even greater 
in uh, chapter 40. By the way, chapter 40 now is going to be get the beginning of what is called the millennial kingdom. Millennial just means a thousand years. Just means a thousand. And so now for a thousand years, we're going to see in great detail, and this is why we're actually using the NLT. This is why we're using this uh, translation of the Bible. In fact, chapter 40, verse 1, we're not going to get through the whole chapter, but I want to just read through the first two paragraphs here for you. And I don't know what translation you use. Normally, I use the New King James Version. Uh, but whenever I go through the book of Ezekiel, especially these last nine chapters here, there's going to be so many numbers. There's going to be so much measurement. And to put it into cubits and spans and all these various measurements that um, it's very difficult for us to kind of convert especially, you know, automatically in our brain. You have to take a cubit, you know, it's from the beginning of the, the middle of the middle finger all the way down to the elbow, approximately one and a half feet. So that means every single number that you see here, you would have to multiply by one and a half and convert it, you know, and then that just for the cubits, then you have the spans and then you have the rods and you have various other measurements. The nice thing about the NLT, thank God it does it for you. In fact, as we read it, uh, pay attention, verse 1, it says this, On April 22nd, during the 25th year of our captivity, 14 years after the fall of Jerusalem, the Lord took hold of me in a vision from God. He took me to the land of Israel and set me down on a very high mountain. And from there I could see toward the south what appeared to be a city. Remember, Ezekiel saw the city of Jerusalem destroyed. The city of Jerusalem is destroyed at the time of this writing. The temple is destroyed at the time of this writing. When Ezekiel is writing this book. And now Ezekiel gets to see into the future and see the millennial kingdom. The kingdom where Israel will be the center of the world during this time. He took me to the land of Israel, set me on a very high mountain. From there I could see the sea toward the south, what appeared to be a city as he brought me near. I saw a man whose face shone like bronze, standing beside a gateway entrance. He was holding in his hand a linen measuring cord and a measuring rod. Okay, so there's two measuring devices in his hand. The first one is pliable. Okay, for those of you that do sewing... Put the cord around your neck. It has markings on it. It is something that can be bent. It is pliable, okay? It rolls up and then you can, you know, measure things that way. Then the other measuring device is something that is solid. It is a rod with a fixed measurement on it. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. This would be like a yard stick. Of course, it's going to be longer. Or a stick that was cut to a certain uh, length used for measuring that you could just roll over as you were going. Normally that was used for longer measurements. Verse 4, then he said to me, son of man, watch and listen. Pay close attention to everything I show you. 
You have been brought here so I can show you many things. Then you will return to the people of Israel and tell them everything you have seen. What is the purpose of Ezekiel's presence there? Yeah, to be quiet, watch, and listen. In fact, that's the exact purpose of a watchman. Wow. He's going to watch and he's going to report. He's not going to be asked for advice. He's just going to be shown everything. And just as we've been learning over the past uh, months and years, even here, just being able to listen to God. I don't know what your first job was like. I don't know what it was like when you first started a job. Uh, but what do you have to do when you start a job? You have to learn, right? Hopefully, you know. Eh, you know, this, this newbie comes in and, and, you know, he starts giving advice, right? Is this what Ezekiel's supposed to do? No. He's going to be listening. He's going to be watching. And then he will be reporting. Verse 5 there, it says, I could see a wall completely around the temple area. The man took a measuring rod. This is the solid uh, measuring stick that was ten and a half feet long and measured the wall. And the wall was ten and a half feet thick and ten and a half feet high. Can you imagine that? Okay. Now I can see this because it's automatically translated for me, right? This massive wall that is exactly the same height as it is uh, deep, okay? So the thickness of this wall is 10 feet high, 10 feet uh, thick. The length of this rod uh, that this person is holding, verse 6, then he went over to the eastern gateway. He climbed the steps, measured the threshold of the gateway. It was 10 and a half feet front to back. There was guard alcoves on each side built into the gateway passage. Each of these alcoves was ten and a half feet square with a distance between them of eight and three quarters feet along the passage wall. Gateway's inner threshold which led to the entry room at the inner end of the gateway passage was ten and a half feet from front to back. He also measured the entry room of the gateway and it was 14 feet across with supporting columns three and a half feet thick this entry room was at the inner end of the gateway structure facing toward uh, the temple now again these are words uh, th this is a description a and even you know and i i uh, uh, challenge you this week compare a you know whether it's the nlt uh, compare it to a, another translation. Do that. Do that on purpose. Uh, just to see, okay? So now we can kind of see a, a, the measurements. But now, how do I see the picture of this massive city and temple? I have a picture here. And you can find a lot of these, by the way, on the internet. The, this is the temple itself. This is a cutaway of the temple. Just by reading this, just by having a, you know, a picture, it, it, it's so much easier to see. 
It's a lot easier to be able to picture what this city is like. This Ezekiel millennial uh, temple and uh, the city itself. We're going to see in great detail all the way down as we've been seeing here to the very inch what this is like. To the very measurements that are being taken in great detail of uh, the Millennial Kingdom Temple. Not only that, we're going to get to see uh, the, um, uh, the various uh, religious implements that we're going to see in the temple itself. The, the brazier and, and the lampstands and the various implements that are going to be used in uh, the temple. We're going to see the structure of the priests themselves. We're going to see the various things that are going to be taking place during the millennial kingdom. And then you're going to be introduced to this guy called the prince. And you're going to immediately ask, who is the prince? And I'm not going to tell you this week. Because hopefully you'll come again next week and find out. But it's going to be very tempting as you have these questions. I challenge you, write down the questions you have as you read this. Because there's going to be a sacrificial system. There's going to be a prince who sacrifices for his own sins, by the way. There's going to be a a priest system put in place at this time. And there's going to be people from all around the world that's going to come to Israel. They will be the central point of the world during this thousand-year reign. And we get to see it in great detail in the book of Ezekiel. So come back next week. Hopefully we'll get a little bit into this more. I I challenge you, read it, please. Read it, please. Even if you don't understand it all, just read it, okay? Uh, and, And whether it's looking up a picture or something like that, you know, It's really good to be able to see it side by side, and I'll bring more uh, pictures for you uh, next week. And so, Father, tonight as we approach your throne room, and as we get to see just a little glimpse of this, this thousand-year reign is going to be small in significance to heaven itself, but we get to see you reign here on earth. So, Father, tonight, whatever problems we may be facing, whatever challenges we may be going through in life, whatever things we may have be dealing with in our own lives, Father, help us to know that you are greater than all those things. That you have uh, saved us not because of our own worth, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. You've blessed us with grace and mercy, not because of what we've done, but because of what you've already done for us. Change our perspective on things, Father. We can be so self-centered, just as God was, just as all these other nations were, thinking they were so superior. Help us instead uh, direct our thoughts toward you. And then, Lord, as we see from... Just Ezekiel's life himself. Help us to be silent before you. Help us to listen. Because you have so many greater things to tell us than we have to tell you. 
Lord, we thank you so much that you have um, not only given your son as a sacrifice for our sins, but we get to see this uh, amazing event take place. That we get to actually be here, Father. Lord, help us to understand the truth of your word in a little bit deeper way. These sections in the Bible that um, can be very archaic or, or um, hard to understand. Lord, open up our eyes to these things, Lord, and then help us to apply them to our lives today. Lord, I ask you bless these, my friends and my family gathered here, those that are online. I ask you use this for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being